Thank you. It's just so wonderful to see you. Thank you for enduring the heat today. Um, and now it's an opportunity for us to turn to God's word, which is, which is wonderful. So as, as, as has already been mentioned, today in the UK and many countries, it's the opportunity to celebrate Father's Day. And, and what is Father's Day? Father's Day, according to an article in The Scotsman on the 11th of May this year, says communities worldwide celebrate Father's Day as a means of recognizing and honoring the contribution of fathers. It acknowledges the importance of fatherhood and parental mentorship and dedica the dedication of such men towards the family and wider community. That's what the Scotsman said. It doesn't have a fixed day. It's on the third Sunday of every year. Um, although in some countries it's in a different day. Italy and Portugal and Spain have a different day. Who knew? Um, every day is a school day, right? Um, former US President Barack Obama said this, of all the rocks upon which we build our lives, we are reminded today that the family is the most important. And we are called to recognize and honor how critical every father is to that foundation. They are teachers and coaches. They are mentors and role models. They are examples of success and the men who constantly push towards it. But also in that Scotsman article, they referenced a Prison Reform Trust article from the 1970s or rather since the 1970s, the incarceration rate has more than doubled and 76% of all the men in prison in England and Wales had an absent father. It's quite a startling statistic, isn't it? And doesn't it highlight the need for godly fathers and men in our churches today and in our families? So these are just a few examples of why we celebrate Father's Day in the UK. And for many, this is a day where we can acknowledge the fathers in our lives, both natural and spiritual. And for those of us who are privileged to be fathers, it's a huge joy and yet massive responsibility. And for those who do not have natural children, in the family of God, there's also the joy of being a spiritual father. As Christians, it's our responsibility and to model Christ in everything we do. And in the context of Father's Day, as men of church, the church, we are called to model godly faith. What does that mean? It means that we demonstrate our commitment to Jesus in every aspect of our lives, our love towards God. Now the first commandment, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. In our obedience to scripture, the Bible is God's divinely inspired word, given for our guidance and spiritual knowledge, and it's the final authority in all matters of faith and practice, our worship, our care, our love for our families, friends and neighbors, integrity in the workplace, conduct in our communities. These are, these are some of the things of why, what we can reflect on as Father's Day. However, it's also important to acknowledge that for many, it's not a day of joy. And actually, the subject is quite painful. For some, maybe they've lost children. For some, maybe they would like to be a father, but they can't, for whatever reason. Some have lost their fathers through illness. Some have lost their fathers, or rather, some are losing their fathers through illness. It's like a living grief. Some have lost their fathers as they've passed on. For some, they're estranged from their fathers through circumstances, broken relationships. Each and every one of them needs our, of our compassionate care, friends. Some here have had to flee their families because they were in fear of their lives. And so they can't see their fathers today. For some, the model of godly behavior 
is far from what they see in their day-to-day -day lives. It's important, friends, that we recognize and are, compassion, are compassionate towards those, all of us, um, who may face these things. These are very real experiences, and they call for us to care and love each other in compassionate support. Let's just pray as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can turn to you and we can reflect on your word as we come before you on this, what is called Father's Day. We've recognized some really powerful and, and inspirational things, and yet we've also acknowledged already that they're for some. Their natural fathers are not part of their lives for whatever reason, and that can be quite painful and very real. And our hearts are full of love and compassion for, for each other as we face these things together and walk together through the reality of life. So help us by your Holy Spirit as we open your word to look at you as the Heavenly Father. Help us to see that there is one who loves us unconditionally, but also is your, your love um, that, that these things that reflect us in our humanity do not affect you. So we ask for your blessing, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's with that background, I wanted to give a bit of background. What's, what is Father's Day? And, and some rea real life experiences that really we have to wrestle with. But I wanted to explore what Jesus says about his Father. And for those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus, he is our Father as well. And isn't that wonderful? So turn with me, if you will, to John's Gospel and chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14. That's a wonderful chapter, and it's in, in, in the middle of a whole series of amazing chapters in John's Gospel. So we're only going to read the first 11 verses, and we're literally just going to scratch the surface. <clears throat> so John writes the following. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, and I'm reading from the ESV. Let your hearts, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, will I come again? And, and I will come again and would take you to myself, that where I am you may also be also. And you know the way where, to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And, now, <clears throat> and from now on, do, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe, believe on the account of the works themselves. So 
So let's just get a little bit of context before we dive into God's word here, into the, what we've read. So chapter 9 of John's gospel, we see Jesus healing the sick and challenging the religious leaders. And then we move on and we see the death and, and of, of Lazarus. And then we see Jesus raising him from the dead. We see the triumphant entry of Jesus into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And then we come to the scenes in the middle of chapter 12. Where here Jesus reiterates that he would be lifted up to die. And with incredible poignancy, commences the celebration of his pa the Passover with his disciples. So this is the background. Jesus coming from this environment. He's done these powerful things. And then he's coming into the celebration of the Passover. During the, the celebration, John records for us the way that Jesus washes the disciples' feet in chapter 13. And they didn't understand this. What's going on? And then we have recorded it, and, and, and the devil enters Judas' heart as they're celebrating this Passover meal. And he's, he's wet, ready and willing and does go to betray Jesus. So he steps out of the room. And that's an important marker. That Ju when Judas steps out of the room, that's when we start getting this line of teaching. And so with Judas out of the picture and the suffering of death and G of Jesus on the cross about to take place, we get, we get this chapter, chapter 14. Jesus is speaking to those who love him, his disciples, and he gives them this new commandment to love one another as he has loved us. So just, just think about this. Jesus knows what's about to happen to him on the cross. In all the build-up to that, all the pressure, and yet Jesus gives this teaching that we're to love one another, and then we get this. So you, it's in this setting that Jesus comforts and instructs his faithful disciples about the love and the care of the Father. Even though they were afraid, they were uncertain, and they were worried. So let's explore this. In today's world, we have so much uncertainty, don't we? There's so many things that are disturbing, whether that's in questions of integrity in politics, or whether it's the shocking loss of life in Nottingham a few days ago, the horrendous loss of life in the school in Nigeria over the course of the last few days, and, and in Hounslow. I used to work in Hounslow on that road where those, that family has lost its life. And of course, we're reminded of the Ukraine, Sudan, Senegal, other places like this where there's, these, there's so much violence. And there's increasing pressure on Christians throughout the world. Emma often reminds us, doesn't she, about the Christians in northern Nigeria who are losing their lives just because they're Christians. We know some who have come here to the UK who would have lost their lives if they stayed where they were just because they're Christians. But we also see that there's pressure on those who are faithful to the Bible here in the UK. And we will speak into these things over the course of the few, next few months. But it's important to remember that the Bible is our authority. And we do it lovingly. So this passage gives us clear ways in which believers in the Lord Jesus have certainty and for today and hope for tomorrow because of the Father's promises. So let's look at his first promise. He, he opens the chapter. So again, the context is really important. All this pressure is building. Judas has gone out. Jesus knows that he's about to be betrayed. And what does he say? Let not your hearts be troubled. This is the Lord Jesus saying this. Don't, don't worry. It's not that you don't have concerns, but your heart does not need to be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. 
If we're trusting in God, however insecure or insecure that trust may be, the smallest amount of faith in our hearts is always answered by the Lord Jesus. If Jesus is invariably speaking the words of God and performing his works, which is why I referenced the context, should he not be trusted like God? He, he raised Lazarus from the dead. Jairus' daughter was healed. In, in chapter 9, you get the blind man who was born blind. Jesus gave him sight just so that the glory of God could be seen. Why wouldn't you trust him? He's telling the disciples then that they didn't need to let their hearts be troubled for, for ample reason. Everything that Jesus had done up to that point had been to bring relief, release for those under the bondage of sin, for healing those who are afflicted with disease or death, and giving purpose to the hopeless. Isn't that wonderful? That's what Jesus was doing. But he was all doing it all because of the will of his Father. You know, consider the transformation of Matthew. So Matthew was this hated tax gatherer. I got several emails from HMRC while I was on holiday, and actually it was okay, just a reminder to file your taxes. But Matthew was a tax gatherer who was not a particularly pleasant character. But Jesus transformed his life because that was the will of the Father. Jairus' daughter, who we referred to already, the blind man. So, see, all of these actions are a direct reflection and the demonstration of the care and the character of the Father. And that's why Jesus can say these words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Because it's the character of the Father that he's displaying. So while we have many cares and concerns, and rightly so, the Lord Jesus is telling us, do not let our hearts be troubled. And so we now also have the second promise or second comfort. We, we have a place where we belong. The Lord Jesus says that he's going to prepare a place for us. And, 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 and you just read those, that sentence. We could almost just stop there, couldn't we? But you read this sentence, and, and so what does it mean? So it's not that he has to go and organize the house and make sure the plaster is done and the doors are hung and the plumbing's in and the wiring's done and they're cert certified. That's not what he's talking about. The Father's house is already there. It is already glorious. What is the Father's house? The Father's house is heaven. But what Jesus is speaking about in terms of preparation is the fact that he needed to be there. Jesus needed to be there to make it complete. How does he get there? He gets there through the cross. Jesus, by the will of the Father, had to go the way of the cross. He had to die there as we celebrated in communion so that God could be satisfied. Why was God satisfied? Not in Jesus' death in one perspective. He was satisfied because Jesus' death, he bore our sins in his body on the tree and God is satisfied in that. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. We, 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 we learned about the blood spilled. God is satisfied in that blood that was spilled by Jesus because it washes us clean of our sins. So this house prepared had to, be, had to, be, had to have Jesus there. But he had to go the way of the cross to get there. Not for himself 
but so that you and I, as we trust in him, can be there. That's the Father's house. Isn't that a wonderful comfort for us? And so the question is, if you, if you don't know today where you belong, maybe you're uncertain as to where you belong in, this, in, in your family, in, in your school, in your workplace, in your community. Maybe you're struggling with that and wrestling with who, who am I? Where do I fit? You fit here. You fit here because Jesus has paid the price for you and he's prepared a place for you. You belong there. I belong there through faith in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? So many of us are struggling with what, what, where do I belong? Where do I fit? You fit here. So the simplest explanation is that the Father's house is heaven. And in that place there are many rooms, places for fa the family of God to dwell. And the point is that there's ample provision, ample provision for everyone who puts their faith in Christ and Jesus. Uh, faith in Christ. Everyone belongs there. There is enough room for us all. So before we uh, and <coughs> so before we answer this next question, and <coughs> but but why does Jesus go to prepare the place? How does someone get to heaven? I think we've answered that already. But the more uh, and more we be explained in a moment about repentance towards God and faith in the finished work of Jesus. But where Jesus was going is so that those rooms could be prepared and access could be prepared. I was thinking about it. You know, we, in, in today's environment, uh, many of us go to offices, factories, whatever that might be, and we have to have an access card. It's got your face on it, probably. It's probably got a, a code in it, so you touch the thing and you get in. Jesus is the access card, friends. He is the access card into heaven. And there's a card with your face, with your name, with your single sign-on ID on it. It's got your name on it. And Jesus is waiting for you to ask him, can I have my badge, please? Isn't that wonderful? You have a place where you belong. So that's the Father's heart. He's prepared that place for us. It's safe. It's secure. It's beautiful. It's eternal. And it's, as we've said, it's ready and waiting for you and I. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is there. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? So it's important for us to share the good news of the gospel, to answer that question for many people, where do I fit in the big picture? It's important that we share the gospel because it, as you trust in Christ, as we've said, and you, belong, you, you be immediately belong to his family, to his church, his body, and you have absolute certainty of being with Christ forever. You see, that's all part of this comfort that the Father gives. That there's eternal certainties as we trust in Him. There's eternal certainties as we look to Him. Not passing as this world has, but there's eternal certainty. So what about today? These moments that you face, these doubts that you face about faith, about God and the future... What about those days when it seems like everything you believe in is being undermined or criticized or vilified? Remember what the Lord Jesus says in verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. 
Believe in God, believe also in me. But there's more. There's more provision for you. We have an object of certainty and an object of access. Or certainty of access. So in verse 4 it says this, and Jesus says, and you know the way I'm, where I'm going. Thomas says to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So I, I think this section is just such a comfort in today's pluralistic and yet polarized environment that we, 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 we operate in. We're, we're in a post-truth environment, aren't we? The Father has supplied us with absolute certainty that we can be in his presence and, be, and, 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 and have everything made absolutely clear by whom we have access into his presence. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know, if we look at the, 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 what Jesus says, I am the way, think about these, these questions. I, I'm wandering about. I, I don't know where I'm going. I don't have any direction. Jesus is the way. I'm confused. I don't know what to think. What do I make of all this stuff going on around me? Jesus is the truth. I'm dead inside. I don't know if I can go on. You know, some of our counselors in this room have faced that uh, or faced that with their clients. I'm dead inside. I, I don't know if I can go on. Jesus is the life. Don Carson, who's a, a commentator, um, he says the following, Jesus is the way to God, precisely because he is the truth of God and the life of God. He is the way because he's true and he's life, truth and life. He embodies the supreme revelation of God. He himself, that is Jesus, narrates God. He does and says exclusively what the Father gives him and says it gives him to say and to do. He, he's indeed properly called God. He is the Son of God, that is Jesus. He is God's self-disclosure, his word made flesh. Jesus is the life, the one who has life in himself. He is the resurrection and the life, the true God and the eternal life. So you have these questions, I don't know what to do. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't that a comfort? But it's the Father that's given that. The Father has given us Jesus in his love and compassion towards humanity in our fallen nature. He's given us Jesus, who is his full self-declaration. Jesus is the Son of God. And it's only because he is the truth and the life that Jesus can be the way for others to come to God. And so in light of this, it makes sense when Jesus says, there is one way of access. It's a clear message. No one comes to the Father except by me. Now let's just think about this. Jesus was making this statement. So you, you've got the religious leaders there. Or rather, they, they weren't in the room. But in the broader context, Jesus is saying, I, I'm the only way. And in the wider context of what was going on, the religious leaders would have said, that is ridiculous because you're declaring that you're God. <laughs> Amen. He is. So it was, in one perspective, this was outrageous. And, and today we might get challenged. How is it that Christians could be so narrow-minded, intolerant, even bigoted? 
because we believe what the Bible teaches us and have the certainty in our hearts that it is only through Jesus that we have access to the Father. Just think about this. It's far from the truth that these things characterize Christians. If we are living in the full light of Jesus being the way and the truth and the life. And let me explain that. If you read history, I'm a, I can't say that I'm much of a reader, but if you read history, Christianity, yes, there are some bad things that happen. But if, again, that's why I emphasize, if we're living in the light of Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life, think about this. Christianity is the most pluralistic, tolerant, and embracing of cultures on the earth. Why, why is it, and I was reading a book as I was away, and the perspective of the author was this, why is it that the Bible is the only holy book that's translated into multiple languages, hundreds of languages? Why is it? Now, that, I haven't validated that for myself, but the author I have confidence in was making that point. It's the Bible that is accessible to all in the local language that they speak. You know, I love it. We're in Croatia. And isn't it wonderful? I'll come on to it in a moment. But the host, he was Croatian, but he spoke a bit of German, so my bit of broken German, Google Translate with Croatian. We had a great chat. It was fantastic. But there, there is the Bible in the bookstore. Daphne and I were looking at it in Croatian. Isn't that lovely? We have friends here who the Bible, as you can see there, that is the Bible in Persian. That is the Bible in Portuguese. Isn't that wonderful? The Bible is available to all. It's the most pluralistic um, and accessible faith. Why is it that in history, hospitals, medicine, modern science, education, good government based on the rule of law, why, when you look at the history of it, why is it those things were founded by men of faith, men and women of faith in Christ. You know, recently we've been rightly highlighting the horrors of slavery. Why is it that, the, that what, what was called the Clapham sect, I can't remember the dates, but it was about 16 something or other, somebody can correct me, William Wilberforce, and those who had faith were instrumental in the overturning of that horrible, horrible chapter in our history of slavery. Men and women of faith in Christ, why is that? I don't think that's very narrow-minded. It's the emancipation of men and women. It's the dignity of men and women that the Bible teaches us that all are created equal in the eyes of God. Isn't that wonderful? That's wonderful stuff. So it's access, so some may say, well, why are you saying that access to God is only through Jesus? It's because he has paid the price for us. That is why, because he is the son of God. That's why it is only through Christ that we have access to God. But that is the most blessed experience that we can have as we accept and trust him. So life is found alone in Jesus as we're obedient to him through the obedience of faith. If you love someone, wouldn't you want to please them? That's why we are obedient to Christ, because we love him. And so finally, the Father has made provision. 
and we can know him in a deep and personal way. Knowing the Father because we see Jesus. We see in Jesus, we see all the character of the Father and his personality displayed in Jesus. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. Is, is it enough for us? Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long that you don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So you've come to know, so if you've come to know that <coughs> Jesus, then you will also know the Father. Because he is the full declaration of God. He is the full declaration of the Father's character. John Carson says again, the assumption, in other words, is that at least the disciples have come to know Jesus. What they must understand is that the knowledge of Jesus is the entree to true knowledge of the Father. As we get to know Christ, we get to know the Father. So from now on, the Father insists, you do know him because you've seen me. Friends, you can know the Father intimately. You, you, if you know Jesus, then you will know the Father because Jesus is the full revelation of him. Jesus is saying that the Father who dwells in him, it, it, was, it was the Father who wanted all those things done. It was the Father who needed to be glorified when the blind man was given sight. It was the Father who willed it that that woman who had a flux of blood for 12 years and was an outcast in that society touched the hem of Jesus' garment and was healed immediately. Full emancipation. Think of that. We think of, think of, think of some of the women that were there. There were disciples of Jesus whose lives had been transformed. One who'd had seven demons and had them cast out. Her life was transformed. Prostitutes transformed. Regular men and women of the world, their lives transformed by the power of Jesus. So we can know him. They had come to know the Father through Jesus. And Jesus is saying that the Father who dwells in him does the works. So there is no disparity between the Father and the Son. There is no disconnect whatsoever. They are one in nature, one in operation. It is the Father who is bearing witness to the infinite perfection of Jesus in everything that he does. So what does this mean for to us today? Maybe I can share a story of some, something practical we, uh, we learned. Maybe just the next page there, Sam, please. So as a, as, as a family, we were privileged to go over for holiday over the last couple of weeks. And uh, we were staying in an, our, our apartment. And our host, and uh, who, who um, you know, deal with on Airbnb or whatever it was, um, said, look, I won't be there, but my grandfather's there. And my grandmother. And they lived on the second floor. It was a block of four flats. They lived, lived on the second floor, and they made sure that we had everything that we needed. Everything was in working order and comfortable. And uh, as I said, uh, it, was, it was rather interesting. He, 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 um, our, our host's grandfather, he spoke a bit of German. So uh, Stephanie, I did practice a little bit of basic German. <laughs> we, uh, we greeted, greeted each other many times. Yeah, and all that. It was great. And, and a bit of Croatian. But it was lovely because he was, he was, he was so caring. And uh, you know, he knocked on the door. And, and my, my son, who was with us at the time, he speaks German, and he was inquiring, you know, can, can my wife do the washing for you? I'm sure you know, your mother doesn't want to do the washing while you're here. That was just lovely. 
But, but the thing that really struck me, and every day, I, I like to get up early and just sitting on the balcony, looking out over the sea, and here was, I, I don't even know his first name, we'll, we'll call him Opa. There he was every day tending his garden. And you can see it was pretty, pretty robust. So there was peaches, three types of tomatoes, there was cucumbers, there was uh, paprika, there were potatoes. Uh, the peaches were lovely. Uh, they were just coming ripe on that tree just in the corner. There, there were hedges of rosemary. I'd never seen hedges of rosemary before. They were lovely. They were beautiful. But, but why am I sharing this? I, I, every day he was out there. So you can see in the picture on the right, that's him. He would spend probably an hour, an hour and a quarter, something like that, watering those plants. But as he was watering them, he has a little hose and he's just, you know, a little bit of water coming out. But it wasn't just sort of a spray and then run. You could see, it was almost like he was chatting to those plants. He was checking them, he was looking at the flowers, taking away any, any of the leaves that had gone bad, just and any fruit that was ripe, he'd pick it and put it in it. And, and this went on every single day, except for the days when there was thunder and lightning. But I just, it was just a picture of a father's care. <laughs> it's just wonderful, so we can go to the next page. It, you know, it, it was, and, and grapes. The vines, they were starting to, you know, bunches of grapes were there. And <laughs> he actually gave us some of his wine as well. It's lovely. Apparently it had no chemicals. It was all good. But it, it really was good. But you can see in the tomatoes, there's these long poles. So as he was going along and watering, he was making sure that as they grew, they were trained up the poles. And it just, it just was a picture of the father's love and care for his product, that's a crude word, isn't it? But you, you and I are deeply, uh, of deep interest to the Father. And so the Father, by giving us Jesus, he is giving us all the resource we need. And we'll come on to the Spirit in a moment. But this is what the Father does. He prunes us a little bit. Through the scriptures, he guides us up those rails so that the tomato plants are strong and don't keel over, but you get these lovely, robust tomatoes. The cucumbers, they were all trained up on some wires. It, it, it was just wonderful to watch him, and he did it every day. It was just lovely. Sadly, we had to leave before we got the product, but um, there was lots of potential there, that's for sure. I imagine in the winter there'll be lots of tinned something or other. But it was just wonderful to see that bounty that was starting to show itself because of the Father's care. So when Jesus speaks in that section <laughs> to Philip, he's saying, don't, don't you know me? Don't, don't you know the Father yet? I, I've, I, in chapter 13, I've just washed your feet. That's the character of the Father coming through. Back in chapter 9, I, you know, I gave that man, blind man sight. Not because of his own sin, because glory belonged to God. That's the character of the Father coming through. He's training us. He's nurturing us. He's tending us, if you will but let him. As we have faith in Christ, he tenderly cares for us and nurtures us. 1 Peter says this in chapter 5, and Stuart alluded to it, I think, in prayer this morning. Peter writes in his letter, 1 Peter 5, verses 6 to 8, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, 
casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober mindful, sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But he can cast all the cares on him. This is the character of the father. And I just thought it was wonderful. So as we come to a close, <clears throat> I think it's the way that the Jesus shows the deep love of the father to us. He uses examples for us. And so as we reflect on this Father's Day with its joys, its sorrows, maybe its deep pain, I'd encourage you, spend some time in this chapter. Spend some time in John's Gospel. Because John's Gospel tells us more than any other Gospel writer about the Father. So in summary, our hearts can be comforted because we trust in God and His Son, Jesus Christ. We have certainty. We have absolute certainty that we have a place where we belong because the Father's house has been prepared for us by Christ. We belong. There's certainty in the person. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And through Jesus, we have certainty of access. And so as we close, as you read down the chapter, you'll see other things that the Father does for us. But in verse 15, he says this. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. And that's why we're obedient to the scriptures. That's why we teach from the scriptures, so that we learn what Christ is desiring for us. But then he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. He will be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, because he dwells in you. Friends, as you accept Christ, you are filled by God's Holy Spirit. The, spot, the, the, the Spirit comes to us from the Father. It is the Father's Spirit that dwells in Christians. That's what gives us confidence, power, hope, faithfulness, the ability to have our consciences challenged and we can repent and, and confess before Christ our sins. It is the Spirit's power that does that and it also gives us wisdom as we walk in this world. And so I commend to you this chapter, I commend to you this book, and if you've not placed your faith and trust in Christ, why wait? Wouldn't you want to know this Father? Wouldn't you want to know His Father? But He will give you certainty. He will give you peace that comes from no other source. And as I said, He will give you a supply of unlimited and unlimited power, which is the Holy Spirit. God gives us of Himself and His own Spirit to dwell within you. So may God bless this word. Happy Father's Day for those... Uh, for, uh, and I pray that for those of you who may be hurting today, our compassion, our love, our prayers are with and for you, and we're ready to pray with you and care for you. But I pray that you would be blessed through this day. And over to you now.